0: Hello, and welcome to the Scripts and Scribes podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga. For more great interviews and resources on the craft and business of writing, be sure to check out our companion website, scriptsandscribes.com. This is our first new episode of 2017, so happy belated New Year to all of you. And our first guest of 2017 is an independent producer and former development executive and was the head of television for Emmy Award winning writer and producer Peter Toland's Fedora Entertainment for the past seven years. She was involved in the development, sale, and production of numerous pitches, series, and TV movies being sold to networks and cable outlets such as ABC, CBS, AE, USA, HBO, and many more. More recently, she was involved in the development process of the hit series Outsiders with executive producers Peter Matei, Peter Tolan, and Paul Giamatti, currently airing on WGN. She was also a former story analyst for CAA and the Oxygen Network and just recently started PitchToScript.com to help writers create powerful pitches for their television series ideas. Welcome to the show, Marla White. Thanks for coming on today.
1: Oh, well, Thanks, Kevin. Thanks for having me. I didn't know I was the first of the year.
0: You are the of first of the now. year, so <laughs> the expectations are high.
2: Oh, no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so let's let's give the listeners some, some great info today. Um, okay. Um, first, let's start off with your background. How did you get started in the business, and uh, how has that led to where you are today?
1: Um, I, I got started in the business against... Every person in my family's wishes that they assured me I would be pushing a broom for the next 20 years of my life, but um, right. <laughs> moved out to LA, didn't know a single person, didn't hadn't gone to school here, and just got really lucky that the first job I had was a company called Longbow Productions. Mm-hmm. Um, love those guys, and still am in touch with them. Um, and it just so happened that uh, I filled out the application, went on a trip that I already had planned for a couple of weeks came back, and in the time I'd been gone, they'd hired somebody and fired them. So my feeling was they'd interviewed everybody in town, picked this person, then fired them, and they were like, oh, yeah, we'll just take that one. We don't want to talk to anybody
2: else. <laughs> <laughs> so
1: I got the job as an assistant and um, learned so, so much from listening to uh, you know notes that they would give. The first the first movie we did, in fact, was A League of Their Own. Um, and I like to tell everybody my first script note I ever got to give in Hollywood was that there were too many Marlas in the script. <laughs>
2: uh,
1: that I assured them from personal experience that there were never two Marlas in the same room at the same time. Um, and that it kind of went on from there. I just uh, paid attention, listened, did all the you know, scut work of uh, answering phones and calendars and travel and stuff, and worked my way up to being their VP of development. <laughs> I'm sure
0: there's little well, other more. No, okay, no, no, that's
1: manager then there's director and yeah. you know we did uh, it, it was it was a really great run i mean those guys were great and i got to i looked for books and things for them um they were very very inclusive and generous with their information and time so it was a longer haul but i was uh yeah <laughs> eventually got there
0: i wanted to go more to the development process as well as talk about pitches which i know is sort of a specialty of yours um in terms of uh helping Uh, writers with pitches. But Mm -hmm. before that, uh, I know we've both been story analysts in the past, uh, you know, also known as a script reader. For our listeners Mm -hmm. who are sort of at the stage when they're submitting their screenplays, pilots, spec scripts, and being read by a reader, Mm -hmm. what does that process look like on the back end? Meaning, uh, what are story analysts looking for? What are some of the things that are big red flags that stick out that writers should be aware of when submitting scripts to, uh, to be read by a reader? Although you don't always know it's going to be read by a reader. You send it to somebody. Um, right. And it's often sent by that person to a story analyst. Um, and do, right. and the myth, do readers really look at the page count before reading? Um, so maybe you can talk a little <laughs> bit about that whole process.
1: Absolutely. Um, It was funny, when I was at CA. one of the first things, because you would come, because I was a freelance reader, and you would come, and there would be a stack of scripts, and the first thing I would look at was if there was a picture or illustration on the cover page, I would shuffle that off and not take that one with me,
2: because that was always
1: your first big clue that this is not a professional person if they put a picture on the front cover. Wow. Um, And and yeah, you do look at page count, whether you're talking about movies or comedies or dramas, BICs you'd absolutely look at page count because if somebody turns in a drama that's a drama spec that's 78 pages long, you know that they don't have a clue of what an actual drama should be and that that's going to show up in the writing. Right. Um, so, yeah, you do look at that, not just to be a jerk, but because there's only so many hours in the day and, and those really obvious tells are something you want to avoid. Um, the biggest thing I look at when I was doing – now when I'm doing script notes or when I was looking for specs or – Uh, as an analyst was the first 10 pages I cannot stress enough how important those first 10, 10 to 12 uh, pages uh, in an hour drama or in a movie Um, for accommodates more like the first seven or eight. But um, if I can't figure out, if I don't think I know what it's about in those first 10 pages, and sometimes you think, you know, what it's about and the happy surprise is that it's about something else that you'll find out by the end of the pilot or, you know, midway through the movie or whatever. But I gotta have an idea of what I think this thing is about and I gotta know who the main character is in the first ten pages. Now you might know it because, you know, like the famous Casablanca thing, you never met Rick for a long time, but everybody kept talking about Rick. So you knew the show the movie was about him. Um I haven't yet read a pilot that I fell in love with that I had no idea whose story this was for longer than ten pages. It's right. it's you know, the storyteller. As a, as a viewer, you don't watch a show and go, what the hell is this about? And stay tuned. You go on to the other 400 channels you've got a choice of.
0: Right, right. Absolutely. Um, what are, Do you have any other sort of red flags besides pictures on the cover? Uh, that's That, that writer, <laughs> or, you know, obviously a script that's 300 pages or, you know, uh, a, a feature that's 47 pages, whatever. Red flags that stick out that. Writers may need to, writers should look at before submitting.
1: I mean, sometimes I, you find people who want to get clever and they've changed the font or they've changed the formatting of it. Don't do that. Um, you know, it's not that we're stuck, not that Hollywood is stuck that it has to be the exact way you find in Final Draft or whatever sort of, you know, program you use. It's just, it's easier. when And we reckon. Look, people, when you're an executive, like right now for a staffing season, when I was doing staffing, um, I'd read upwards of like 200 scripts per our show. Now, And one season we had three shows. Um, so that was some of them crossed over, but it was still a lot of scripts. And I don't want to have to sort through. I don't, I don't want things to look unfamiliar. I don't want to have to look at the font and go, oh, that's pretty. I just want it to be what it's supposed to be with the standard professional you know, um, formatting is. Right. Um, so don't, don't try and stand out that way. Just stand out by your excellent writing, not because you've, you've tweaked it to be all cutesy.
0: Right. Cause you're not um, a graphic, you're not applying for a graphic design job. You're <laughs> trying to be a writer.
2: Exactly. And you don't stand <laughs> out
0: as, as more interesting or talented because you have a funky font or whatever. You stand out because you don't seem to understand the, the, the field yes. in which you're trying to work in.
1: You stand out exactly the wrong way. Right, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, and for me personally, and this is so t- just a personal twerk that you take it or leave it, I-, I think that there are other people who feel the same way. But I- I- when you see a, ca- a character for the first time, their name is all in caps.
2: Mm-hmm. After
1: that, you don't have to do that anymore because that tells me I haven't met that person. Right. And if I see it later on, it is in, in caps, I go, oh, I should remember that it is. But right. I find it really bothersome when people put other things in caps. Like Uh-oh. the door opens with a bang and a capitalized right. bang. It is, you know, it's like yelling at me the entire time I'm reading the script. I'm actually just reading an email from a friend, a writer friend who's like, I put my response in all caps. I'm not yelling at you, I promise. I just need to put it in caps so you know what I wrote. Um, it it isn't necessary, particularly in dramas?
2: Right. Um, right. Some right.
1: comedies, like old, you know, the formatting of comedies is so different, uh, single cam versus multicam. That old school multicam format is that whole, everything's in capitals and spacing is different and all that. So I understand that when I read, I still don't like it, but I understand the cause for it. But other than that, I don't, don't put things in capitals to attract my attention to things. Attract my attention to your awesome word (laughs) crafting (laughs) and the dialogue.
0: Right. I have seen it on occasion be effective in things like action sequences or something like that. But, um, yeah, I mean, I guess, uh, yeah,
1: if it's necessary, you know, I mean, if it's, if it's if it's like, for instance, if it is a sound or it's something like that. But I always think if you put something in the description that is something that the the viewer needs to know, then you need to make sure you've communicated that in a way that it's going to get to the viewer. So, like, if you put in the description in all caps, he's driving a blue convertible. I mean, is that really necessary to me as a right. reader to right. know that? Does it make a difference in the thing? No. But if it's like an explosion, I, I guess, Yeah, if you want to make sure you really accentuate the loudness or the dangerousness of it all, I guess, yeah.
0: Right. And if you're doing it more than a handful of times in your script at all, you're probably doing it, like you said, too often and putting the every, yeah, way.
1: right. Everything, that's one of those things which drive me crazy. Everything that you use too often loses its effectiveness. So if you keep putting an exclamation point at the end of every single um, (laughs) line of description, and I've read it, I used to go through, because it drives me so crazy to see ellipses, you know, dot, dot, dot. Right. I used to go through and count them because really bad writing, people keep, you know, writers will sometimes think that that adds this dramatic pause to it. Right. And it doesn't, it it just, uh, it makes me crazy. Um, So avoiding things, anything you use too much, you have then lost its
2: usefulness to you.
0: Right. Um, Okay, let's maybe move ahead to further a little bit further along the development process. But can you maybe mm-hmm. um as a former development exec and, and and indie producer that's uh intimately familiar with the whole development process, uh maybe you can talk a little bit about the stages of the development process from submission of script all the way to, you know, pitches, to sales, to you know, that kind of thing.
1: Okay. Um yeah it's, it's it's a really super long answer so I'll try to keep it really short. Yeah. Uh there's there's okay so the development process is a couple of different ways it can go. You can submit a spec script, you've completed it's an original idea. And in fact Outsiders was an original spec it was actually uh, to give credit it was Peter Matei who created in in EPing um Outsiders Peter Tolan came on as a showrunner. Mm-hmm. But Peter Matei was a writer who didn't have a lot of TV credits and things but had done a lot of plays and movies and stuff but um the development process can be kind of trying uh if you are a young uh inexperienced writer i think it's the best learning experience if you listen and really hear what people's notes are but if you're somebody who's as established as peter matey was it can be like i just want to write my story so he wrote the spec of outsiders and basically sold it with a lot of other things going on but that was the gist of it um, and that was an incredibly lucky thing, and it was uh, um, doesn't happen all that often. I mean, other than the spec, the alleged so-called spec season in, like, January when networks have decided that they don't like their own development and they'll, they'll look for specs to buy, although it's changed a little bit in the past couple of years. Um, but that's one way, the more usual way to sell, a, especially a TV series, and I wouldn't even begin to speak about um, features, so I don't know that much about them, and TV movies have died the terrible, painful death. <laughs> so let's just focus on series on for the moment that um, most of the time what you can come in and do is pitch your idea to, um, if you are an established writer, you're going to pitch it to a network or a studio. If you're somebody up and coming, like we would deal with a lot of people um, because of Peter being who Peter is, we would deal with writers who had been on staffs, had some experience, but didn't have enough to be a showrunner. So right. they needed that extra weight of someone to, to carry them to. So when Peter would come to CBS or ABC with a show, it was a sort of stamp of, yes, you know, Jane Doe is going to write it, but I'm going to be behind it. And you know, you can trust my brand. Right. So that's typically the way a younger or more less experienced writer um, is going to, I think is the better way for them to go is to get a producer attached like Peter or or some of the other guys who sell a ton of stuff. Um, You'll pitch us your idea. And then we'll take you into, in our case, Sony was where we had our deal. So we would take you into Sony and pitch the idea. Um, hopefully they would say yes. And then they would clear it at the networks, which means they would call their, you know, that's what they work with at the networks and say, we've got this idea. What do you, you know, we want to come in and pitch you this idea. What do you think? And they'll usually say yes. And then we would go in and pitch it. Um, let's assume we sold it. Uh, and when we pitch it, like your producer who brings you in is going to give you a brief introduction and then it's up to you to pitch your story and, and really sell the idea. It's, it's not going to be the producer's job or the network's job to figure that out for you. Um, and then once they buy it, it's a really, it, after that, it gets really fast moving. So I always think that writers are better off if they've got all these things kind of thought about before they even pitch the, the idea, which is the first thing you need to deliver is a story document that's like two weeks or something after you've sold it. And then once that gets notes on it, <clears throat> then they give you their, you know, their feedback and then they give you the go-ahead and you get like two weeks to do a story area where you do a more fleshed out um, like outline of the, of the project. And then you get a really short time after that to turn it over into a script. Um, you know Maybe from the time you've sold it, depending on the time of year you sold it. Like If you sell it in July 1st, you get a little more leeway because nobody's making decisions in December. But um, you always want to deliver on the deadline you don't want to disappoint a network especially if you were this is your first thing you've sold you, you don't want to screw around with the networking and say well my grandma was sick and can i have another right. weekend and all that kind of stuff yeah um do move heaven and earth make it good but move heaven and earth to give it on time
0: right especially because at this phase it's not even a show you're still competing with a ton of other material that was also oh, bought to yeah. actually get shot as a pilot and also then make it to
2: the, uh, make
0: it yeah. to air yeah, and yeah, all yeah. that this, kind of stuff. So you definitely don't want to screw around. Yeah, I'm,
1: right, right. I mean, the numbers are something in the neighborhood and don't, I mean, it's like, I don't want to get a bunch of emails from people saying it was 102, not 105, but it's something in the neighborhood of like a network safe, for instance, CBS it's somewhere in the network of like a hundred or so dramas they'll put into development.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then out of those hundred or so, it's something like maybe like 10 or 11, um, will get into being made, picked up in December, January, January to February, picked up as going to pilot, which means they shoot those scripts, right. the other 80 scripts. Second. it. Um, and then yeah. from those 11, it's something depending on how their other shows are doing it. It's something in the neighborhood of like three or four, that'll get on the air
2: right. and
1: the odds are hugely against you. You want to, you want to make them love you from the get go. Cause it's, you know, it's one thing to say this script is better than that script. And it, uh, certainly that matters, but if everything's a level playing field, you know, of all three scripts they have to choose from, but to get this one last slot are all equally good. And they're all equally got a good shot there's a lot to be said about how much they enjoyed the process of working with you. Absolutely. And how much you, you know, how much you respected their notes because they're looking at this going, I want this to go on for five years, but this guy was kind of a dick. So don't want to work with him for five years. Right. He bought every note I gave and he was always late or she, whatever. Um, so it, it, it does all matter. It all is part of the, the accounting process.
0: Plus it's a subjective business. And the more you piss off, uh, the people reading your material, uh, it has to bleed into the the reflection of how they view the material. So. Oh,
1: yeah. Absolutely. It, it does, and not only that, but then it can screw you for the next season. That's true. Like, if you didn't get picked up, or you did, you've got a show in the air, but you've got another idea you want to pitch, you know, yes, yeah, certainly people came in the door that went, oh, God, no. <laughs> this idea would have to be the most amazing idea for me to want to take this pitch out. Right, um, right. You know, yeah, it, it, it's it's always a, it's a career thing. You know, it can go and it can go with you even if it's like a a total misunderstanding, and you're not a jerk, but something happened. So you have to just always be on the lookout, be, be aware. It's a personal relationship business as much as a, um, a you know your writing craft business.
0: Right. Okay. I'd love to move on to pitches. Uh, I know. Yeah your uh, company pitch uh, offers a bunch of, of great services. We don't, this is not a paid commercial thing at all. We don't normally promote those types of services. Um, I was referred to you by a mutual friend. I've heard great things. Um, we recommend uh, listeners not spend more than they can afford, but also it's part of your educational process. And if you find it valuable, then it's definitely worth worth your time to investigate. Uh, and again, I've heard great things. We have mutual friends, so uh, I wanted to have you on. We haven't covered pitches in that great detail, so this is a great opportunity to do so from the pitch master, the pitch expert, yeah. I don't know what pitch guru, I don't know what title you go by. Um, but let, maybe we can talk a little bit about that for a little bit and, and, and cover some of that stuff. Um, yeah. What are a few things that, again... Covering pitches is sort of difficult because I know your service is tailored to individual writers and their pitches, which every pitch, every writer is different and what your, the strengths and the things you want to highlight about uh, a specific project is based on that project and that writer. So these are just sort of general uh, insights about the process, about pitching, about pitches themselves and things like that. So um, Mm -hmm. I wanted to clarify that. But what are some, what are a few things that writers need to know about the pitch process that are sort of invaluable that you sort of like to hit home early on?
1: Well, take a step back for half a second that the reason I started doing the pitch workshops and I did them before, um, you know, we, before I decided to go out on my own as a producer and, and all of that was because the past, like the first, Five years or so, I worked for Peter. It was my first introduction to TV series. Before that, I'd worked in in TV movies. And the pitches were amazing, and I was entranced. And then the past three, four years, pitches got less and less entrancing. They got, in quite dull and vague. Um, And that was one of the reasons I wanted to start giving workshops. It's because we would have people come in with fairly good ideas or interesting ideas, but they'd pitch them so blandly that you had no option but to pass on it. Um, there was this, there was one pitch in particular that made me launch into wanting to do this, and, and I went around to talk to different writers and and interviewed people about what made pitches good to them and stuff. But one of them was the, the the kickoff of it was this one particular script or pitch, and I won't go into what it was, but I talked to Michael, who was Peter's producing partner, and gave him the basic logline, and then said, and then hilarity ensued, and he's like. I know when you say that that's because the writer hasn't given you any story to tell me, right? And we know it's going to be a pass. And I'm like, okay, you got me. Yes. The particular writer didn't give me any specific story. So the biggest thing I would say for writers to keep in mind, you know, there is a, there is a blueprint of a really great pitch you can go by and then mold it to your own, you know, your own style, your own needs or whatever, but don't, there's no reason to throw out a perfectly good blueprint. And the typical blueprint is that you have, you have really specific stories to tell me, not just for the pilot, but in subsequent episodes, here are some particular storylines. Whether you're talking comedies or you're talking dramas, whether you're talking a serialized drama or a procedural thing, the more specific story you can give me, the more I have to, to hook onto and remember and get interested in, you know, that, um, I've had people pitch me things and they've gone hey, blah, blah, here's a log line. And they go, well, is it an hour or is it a half hour? And they go, it's whatever you want it to be.
2: Oh, I'm like,
1: Okay. Is it, is it a dark comedy? Or is it a light? Well, it's whatever you think. No, don't, don't do that. <laughs> have a very, I'm, I seriously have had more time than think. Have a very, very specific view of your world. Um, I mean, a, a, and it's not that hard to do. That's the part that's so annoying to me that when I decided to do this pitch thing, I went and talked to a friend who does the episodic thing at, at Sundance. And she said, well, what we do is we have a, a pretend pitch that we teach you know, off of a fake pitch. Um, it's something ridiculous and, and ludicrous that it would never be a series, but it gives people the idea of the sort of roadmap to follow. So I went home and thought about well, what would I do for that? And it took me maybe 25 minutes. That's it. And now it's not a great pitch. It's not going to be a show because that's not the point of this exercise. But if you're a writer, take a couple of days to figure out specifics of your world and your character and their backstory and know these things. I don't necessarily want to hear all of it, but know all of that when you come in to tell me this stuff. You know I mean? I had one person come in to pitch me a comedy um, uh, and I asked, okay, so what's a specific story? Because it was one of those it's got a million funny stories. And I said, well, what's, what's a specific one? Oh, there's a million. Trust me. Every time I hear trust me, I get really nervous. Right. <laughs> because I don't want to, I don't want to trust you. I want to hear from you mm-hmm. the story, you know, and they can never tell me a specific thing. And you have to know that when you're, when you're pitching something, you're basically pitching the pilot. It's, they're sort of in trance. So you can't really separate the two things. And a pilot is basically a, what would a typical episode of that series be because you have to be so clear when I, when you've made the pilot it has to be so clear to the viewer that they know what episode two is going to be about or what the style of it is and they won't you want to have them leaving at the end of that first episode saying oh i can't wait to see episode two i wonder what's going to happen mm-hmm. and that's the same responsibility you have at the end of a pitch is you know, when you, you've told your pitch based on your pilot story your responsibility is for that executive to go, ooh, well, so what happens next? And then your next responsibility is to have an answer for that, to have right. like, the next couple of episodes, of what if it's a serialized, what the season arc is going to be, and that kind of stuff.
0: Right. Um, now, uh, we, we, we covered some of that, some of what my next question is uh, in your response, in oh, terms sorry. of... Uh, <laughs> what your expectations are as the sort of exec, um, mm-hmm. what you're looking for, the specificity. And like you had mentioned, you don't necessarily have to give all of the information uh, in during your pitch, but if they ask questions and questions in a pitch are always good because it means they're engaged and they're interested if they're asking questions rather than just kind of sitting and listening, uh, which is not yeah. necessarily, necessarily a bad thing, but, Questions are always a good thing, but you have to have answers for them, like you had mentioned. Um, Yeah. But other than uh, the sort of storyline and having specific uh, story points and and storylines and having all this built up, Mm -hmm. what makes a great pitch? What is it about a great pitch that makes them stand out and attract attention? Again, this is a very general Um... sort of question, I'm sure, but...
1: No, but you know what? It's a really easy question to ask because this was one of the things that I heard. We took out a pitch that unfortunately didn't sell for a bunch of different reasons, but it was one of the – even Peter, after the pitch, told the writer, this is one of the best pitches I've ever heard. Wow. And I can tell you exactly why. Mm-hmm. It opened, and every pitch should have – a. you open with, a, with the cold open of the pilot would be. Right. And it has to be such an amazing opening that you've got them. You can You can sell a pitch – off of the cold open. If you do it well enough, it's mm-hmm. not just my opinion. It's WGA's website has the same thing. On other someplace. Um, in this particular one was a drama, It had a very, uh, explosive action, sort of opening, but it isn't necessarily what I mean it to be. I mean, comedy, the cold open needs to be funny. I know that sounds ridiculous, but you think people would assume that, but it needs to be funny. It needs to, if it's a drama, it can be dramatic. It doesn't have to have an explosion or an action. Um, and I would say go through every, almost every pilot. You can find the script online someplace. I was just reading the other day for to give notes to um, a client. I was reading the pilot for Justified Again, which is easily one of the best shows, in my opinion, on TV. Yeah. And um, that opening, which you would have, you know, they didn't pitch that because it didn't sell that way, but if they would pitch that opening of that scene between Raylan and the, the criminal at the restaurant, right. that's a really great cold open. That isn't explosive or expensive, but it's, Interesting and compelling, and you go, Ooh, I want to hear more about that character.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, uh, and just a really quick side note I've read so, so, so many scripts, especially since Breaking Bad came out, mm. and so many pilots are trying to do the same thing where they have this explosive action beginning and then they go to two weeks earlier or 48 hours before. I hate that. I hate that. Because <laughs> um, what it tells me is that your opening of your show, if you didn't have that tacked on beginning, is so boring that it, it, you had to force this thing on there to make me pay attention. Right. It was not the case with, with uh, Breaking Bad. It was completely um, wonderfully written and wonderfully um, related to the, to the next, and, you know, two weeks earlier or whatever. But don't just tack an explosion on because your agent tells you that that's what it has to be in the beginning. That's a terrible idea. Anyway, right. back to the pitch. So you do this really great cold open. It takes maybe five minutes of the pitch. And then you step back And to me, the best ones are you step back and you give me a brief idea of the main characters. I don't want to hear about every single character in the show, but the main, if it's, you know, four or five characters, this is your chance to give a little bit of backstory about them that we wouldn't see necessarily in the pilot, but knowing it will help the executive go, ooh, I see where the potential for future conflict is going to be. Um, And then, you know, you have to do something like five or eight minutes or something where you've gone through, the characters so we know them don't make it super long or super boring just a few sentences for each one and then you go to the step back into the general beats of what the rest of the pilot episode would be you know and this is your chance to show is there going to be an a story and a b story is it like a comedy is it going to have an a b and a c runner is it you know what's this is where you establish what the structure of a typical episode of that show is going to be and how those storyline or lines play out
2: Mm
1: -hmm. um and then, you know, you wrap it up with an ending that is so incredibly uh, interesting. Even You know, if it's a procedural, it doesn't have that serialized cliffhanger thing. But that's okay, because you've told, them, hopefully, a really interesting case that makes them go, oh, what other kind of cases would this person be on, medical or, or you know, cop or whatever? Um, or if it's a serialized thing, oh, so what happens next? Um, and comedies are the same way. It has to be, you have to want to know, oh, what other kind of stories would... Would this character get into
2: um,
1: now typically when I hear a pitch I like to not ask questions during the middle of it because I feel like it throws the writer off a little sure um, other people do so you got to be ready for that but yeah you have, you want them to ask questions at the end but you can't rely on them asking right like don't not tell them about the characters and expect them to ask to tell me about that main character because that's not it's not (laughs) going to happen. And it's not, it's not a good idea for you. You only get one chance in the room to tell this. Don't roll the dice that they'll ask the right questions. Give them enough information that they'll, they'll ask questions that you might not even thought about.
0: Right. And I've also found that, I mean, obviously it depends on your narrative and the story you're trying to tell. But when (laughs) you had mentioned uh, having all the details, Of these characters, the stories you've got coming, you know, in your head that, you know, potential episodes Mm -hmm. and that kind of thing, Um, that sometimes when it's uh, one of these serials or when it's uh, something that has sort of a mystery to it, that there's a tendency to want to hold back information, to not want to share that, like you would try to uh, tease your viewer. Uh, the the problem is is that if if the people you're talking to these executives that you're pitching to don't get that they don't it just seems like your pitch is vague and you don't know where it's going if you don't give them enough information if you're you're not trying right. to necessarily keep them in the dark about everything and oh they'll be so interested in finding out what happens that they'll buy it just to kind of figure it you know (laughs) to figure it out so i will tell them no you need to give them all the insights as much as you can uh into what is at stake and what your stories are not like oh it's 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 a great payoff trust me i I just don't want to tell you because it's going to ruin the surprise when i don't do that um i think you're gonna gonna have problems with that
1: yes no i totally agree and the thing is and one of the reasons that I like to to be able to work with writers because I feel like I'm giving a different perspective than people who are actual writers. Mm. Um, It's because I am the guy that they've been pitching to. I know what people are pitching to go through. And here's what you have to keep in mind in a situation like that, where you're trying to be all crafty and mystery and stuff, when it's pitching season, um, these guys go through a typical network executive probably takes eight on the low side, five pitches a day, Mm. probably it's closer to six to eight, but let's say five just to give them a chance that's five hours of listening to people tell you stories and some are good and some are bad, but it's still, it, you know, I don't know if you've ever sat through somebody pitching or something. It's exhausting. Mm-hmm. It is simply exhausting. I mean meetings, even, even meet and greet meetings can be exhausting. It's like going to a networking event and you know how you're trying to be all witty and pissy, and you know, all that stuff. <laughs> and you just feel like you've been rung through a ringer at the end of that, of that event and you go home and just collapse. It's a little bit like that for network executives or studio executives. There's a lot of mental and 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 physical energy that goes into these meetings. So, if you are the poor bugger who's drawn the five o'clock on a Friday slot to pitch your story, <laughs> um, don't make them work hard for this. Make it as easy for them yes. as it can be. You know, don't make them try and figure out your crafty story. They'll help you because the thing about the thing about working with a network is They'll help you figure those things out. If they put it into development. Then what happens is they're, they'll come in and say, Hey, we tried that crafty mystery thing last year and it didn't work.
2: Mm-hmm. Or,
1: so let's tweak it this way. Or, you know, their experience that's when that comes in is their experience and what has and hasn't worked for their audiences in the past. They can they add that to it. And that's why shows, you know, CBS in particular is really good about their brand and, and doing it. I mean, they all have their particular things. ABC is awesome as well. And I love NBC is don't want to make mad, but that's where you go to those executives. Because they know what their audience wants, but you know, don't come into it and make them work for it. Right. Cause that's, that's not going to help you in your, in your cause. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, what are some of the most common mistakes that you see newer writers make in both preparing and presenting their pitches? Other than obviously making them work for it and not having story right, right. sort of laid out and and prepared, I um,
1: would say one of the one of the things I find that writers have a problem I have a tendency not not to want to do is practice their pitches beforehand. Mm.
2: Um,
1: and it sounds ridiculous, and um, and hey, I still do it when I took a pitch out this this year. I, I didn't want to do it, and about an hour before I left to go talk to the the production company, I was like, no. The first time I say this pitch out loud can't be the, the <laughs> first, you know, my, my chance to sell it. I have to say this thing out loud before I go in, just so I know what it sounds like. It's kind of like you know, you should read your script out loud and see what the dialogue works and stuff. You should absolutely read your your pitch out loud, hopefully to an audience that is not your mom or your significant other or somebody who's going to be like, yeah, that was great, honey. Right. Um, you know, it's maybe another writer or somebody who can really give you feedback about, it. no, I got completely lost in that. And sometimes writers think that what they're saying is completely clear because they know it so well. and It's not particularly to an audience who has no, you know, especially if you're talking about new world, like, um, you know, if you're talking about behind the scenes of a radio show or something, and we don't know what goes on behind the scenes, um, so that's one thing, as I would say, is, is practicing it. Time it out absolutely. If everybody's got a phone, it's got a timer. Time it out because when you tell your pitch story, you know, from the when you come in to talk to an executive, it's gonna be like five minutes of be a human being, ask them how their weekend was, or if they have plans for the weekend. But on Friday, I mean, be a human being and connect with them. And then after that, you're gonna launch into your pitch, and you've got like 20 minutes to tell that chunk of it. And then save like the next, the last 10 or 15 minutes for them, hopefully asking questions and stuff. So time it out and make sure that you, it is that long. Because if it's shorter than that, that's a lot of, you, you haven't told enough story.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you haven't told us enough details and enough what else is involved in this to, to, to give us an idea what the episodes would be. And if it goes on too long, I want to shoot myself. So um, just time it out and practice it. Um, and I don't know if this, Answers the question, but one of the things I get a lot of questions about is about reading your pitch versus memorizing your pitch. Oh right. Um, absolutely, everybody will tell you an absolutely different <laughs> answer to this. But from my experience, absolutely, you are fine reading it off of a piece of paper
2: mm-hmm.
1: or note cards. Um, computer makes it a little tougher because that screen becomes sort of a barrier. But uh, we had a we took a pitch out where the writer tried desperately to memorize his pitch. And at one point, the network was like, "It's okay if you just read it." And he was so relieved others didn't faint. Um, it, it's fine. We don't expect you to memorize it. In fact, sometimes memorizing it makes it come off um, too robotic and and roadie. It makes right. you sound like sort of like Bob Dole that you have like <laughs> you <laughs> flat and you have no emotion. And then if people ask you questions, that can tend to throw you off. Um, so I, I always say, just read it off the pit. Now, you know, there's a the point of the pitch after you've been human. And then you tell the why me, why now of it all, why you were the writer to write this and what your personal connection to this story is. Um, you should be able to do that without looking off a piece of paper because it should be your story. Right. Um, so, if, you know, it's based on a personal experience. You shouldn't have to read that off a of paper, but beyond that, yeah, absolutely read it. Um, and that would be the, I guess that'd be the, one of the, one of the things to answer your, your question of, one of the things people don't do well enough is to figure out the why me, why now, what's my connection to this story. Every executive wants to hear what your personal connection is. Um, and that's another area that there's a big disagreement about. One camp will say, make it up. If you don't have a personal connection, just invent one. Right. Um, if you want to do a thing about an astronaut, lie, and say your grandfather was an astronaut.
2: Right. Um <laughs>
1: My, my personal feeling is there's a thing called Google and people can figure it out pretty quick. Your grandfather wasn't an astronaut. right? Um, but more importantly, my perspective is you need to actually have a, real, a personal, passionate reason for you to tell this story. You know, if you want to tell a story about an astronaut, it doesn't mean that you have to have somebody who actually was one. It just means that you have a... The, the, deep down, there's some reason that you want to tell this story. Yeah, whether it's you you can relate to the isolated experiences of an astronaut or you experience new worlds because you came here as a kid from another state or another country whatever it is dig deep and find that that reason because it will show in your writing and it will be a good sales tool to help sell it
0: um you mean vince gillian wasn't a math dealer in real life (laughs) really (laughs) Well, now that I can't fit. Oh, that's true. <laughs> um, yeah, I wonder what he, what he would say, although, you know, at his stage, I'm sure, whatever he pitches, is, you know, they just take it at his value. But yeah, no, that's that's good advice. Um, now, speaking of, of writers who may be nervous or may come across as robotic, what kind of advice would you have for a writer who may not be good at pitching? I mean, what if, again, someone is nervous or they have low energy? How would you suggest that they prepare for pitches? Is it all just about preparation and doing it over and over? Or is there something else that you recommend?
1: Um, Well, the first thing I would say to keep in mind, and it was a quote, I went to a a thing that Felicia Day was speaking at. And she told the story about how she was terrible audition. She's had terrible, terrible, like stage fright and was just the, to the point that she'd be catatonic and they'd have to like lead her out of the, the building. And when she started producing her own stuff and was on the other side of that casting table, she realized that as a producer you're sitting there and you want everybody who comes to that door to be good. Mostly because you want your job to be done and you don't have to see 500 people for this particular role. You want the first one to the door to be awesome and go fine, done. Right. And I think that writers need to keep that in mind, that when you come in to talk to an executive, we really want you to be good. We're cheering for you, mostly because if your pitch is awesome, you've made my life a hundred times easier.
2: Right.
1: Come to the door and I can sell that. I've now got one, you know, that, that's one tick off of the box of I got to set up eight projects this year. One done. Yay. So, you know, we're, we aren't the opposition. We're on this ride with you. Until you give us a good reason not to be, which would be to be ill prepared, and then we won't be. Um, If you're really (laughs) so, if you're if you're nervous, yeah, practice it, say out loud as many times as you can. You know, everybody's a little bit different, obviously. Um, Obviously, every executive is going to take things differently. I personally, when I would hear people pitch, I could tell they were nervous, and I'd try to make them feel a little bit more at home just because I don't like to torture people or (laughs) sex or anything like that. Um, And by and large, I haven't met. I had to say too many. There are a couple out there, but I haven't met too many people who take pitches who who aren't generous and uh, interested in other people and interested in your story. I haven't met that many who are just going to be dicks when you're telling your story. I've heard stories from writers of things going bad, and you just have to know that it could it could happen. But you know, if you're if you're really super nervous coming in, just try and remember that we are we just want to be there for you, you know. Mm. I don't know if that will help you or not in your nervousness. Um, I wouldn't advise anything <laughs> like drinking or anything. <laughs> um, I, had, I had somebody tell me that they'd heard at like a PGA panel event or something that like the executives were recommending bring bringing gifts. Like what? if you're pitching on a Friday, bring a bottle of wine. I wouldn't recommend that. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a little weird. I think they were having fun. Um, I don't think that bringing people anything you know, really helps your pitch.
0: No, not um, unless you know them and uh, it's some, you have yeah. a relationship in general already. I think that's, yeah.
1: Yeah. That's a little sketchy. Yeah, exactly. Um, Especially yeah,
0: wine, like a, you're assuming, it, what if they just gotten out of AA? Or, I mean, I'm just exactly. throwing that, and you don't know. <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> like that was slowly. my thought, was like, yeah. that seems like a, and I don't know what that tells them about you. <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> so it's yeah. a
1: fundamentally pop, bad
0: idea. <laughs> right. You want to pop it open while I'm still here? Because uh, yeah, I'd love to taste it, you know. <laughs>
1: I mean, uh, when I was in college, I was in like a writing course that that's what the, the, the instructor brought because it was a high quality, you know, class. Sure. He brought a gallon of wine.
2: Nice. And we
1: all sat around drinking this incredibly cheap wine and talking about what we'd written. And it. it was like, this is so surreal. I wouldn't recommend repeating that. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's not really going to help you much.
0: Especially if you're trying <laughs> to get a job. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, he was okay when he came in, but he was totally blasted when
0: he left. Well, that's great, though. <laughs> I mean, hearing you talk about the Felicia Day thing, where it, it really is sort of an audition as well as, uh, you know, getting your material heard. It, it is sort of an audition for you as yeah. well. So it's it, it's interesting to hear it in those terms and seeing it in a sort of a different perspective. Um,
1: And the thing is that too, like, like when you go for staffing meetings, it's the same idea. You absolutely are auditioning for a job. Not not quite as risky as like an actor or something, but you absolutely are, you you know, you need to come in there and be interesting and be, be a person they want to spend the next, you know, five years, eight hours a day with.
0: Yeah. I guess a pitch is much more like an audition and a staffing showrunner meeting is probably more like one of those chemistry tests where they bring in two actors uh except they're the other actor and they want to make sure you have chemistry with them because i mean if they didn't like your writing they, you wouldn't be in that meeting in the first place but at the same time you have to sort of sell yourself as being good fit for that show uh both uh, the well, people I mean, involved and you know your perspective yeah, as well yeah
1: yeah well it's interesting is that in, in both cases like i was telling people come in to pitch things um, now I don't know if it's an urban myth or if it actually happened. So mm-hmm. don't hold me to the fire about the truth of this all. But the, the legend I've heard is that when they went, the guys who, who created Cougar Town went in to pitch something else entirely. And the, mm-hmm. when they were in the room, the, before they got there, like they met each other down for coffee before they went to the pitch. And they were goofing around and said, you know, it would be a great thing for a show, Cougar Town. That'd be funny. Huh? And then they went and did their pitch and it didn't sell. And, and they were like, the producers or executive, whatever was said, but do you have anything else? And they went, well, we're working we're on this thing called Cougar Town. And, it, you know, the rest is history. I would say that if you come into a pitch, have a backup idea. If you're going to a general meeting, absolutely have an idea to talk about. Don't, don't assume it's just a general meet and greet right. and they'll fall in love with you. And then for staffing meetings, absolutely. It, it is a little bit of the chemistry of people like you. But people will like you a lot more if you've shown that you've given it a lot of thought to this Thing like for the first season of Outsiders, we had some really super interesting meetings, and some that the people seemed nice enough, and we liked the writing. But you know, they didn't have they didn't ask questions of what what's going to happen with this um, character as the season goes on. You know, be pr- at, if you liked the pilot, you should have those kind of questions in mind. Right. Um. You know, have you thought about these storylines? That there, there was somebody who came prepared with. They knew the area and had some, some ideas to suggest that way. That goes a lot farther than just somebody comes in and goes, I love your I love this pilot. I want to work on it. Right. Well we love it too. It doesn't really help you.
0: <laughs> right. Um, uh, we've got a few listener questions and that actually led into one that I thought oh, actually before I jump into the listener questions, I actually came up with something that I, I was was sort of similar. I've heard of multiple times when uh, a writer goes into pitch. I, I know what happened to Eric Kripke. I, I don't know if it was supernatural or a different pitch that he was on, in on. That one day he was writing uh, a he was at, writing a pitch on a napkin, just you know some ideas, and it, you know he yeah. was going to develop it later, but it was just something he came to his head. He wrote it on a napkin, but then he pitched a few days later a different show and they're like mm, that's not really our thing what else do you have and then he just kind of drew back what he wrote on that napkin he didn't even develop the full pitch and just kind of threw it out there right. and they ended up buying it mm-hmm. I don't know if it was supernatural or was it was a different pitch that he'd sold that never got made anyway it happens all the time um, Yeah. so yeah you're right absolutely have ideas have things ready when people ask because in, invariably at some point it will happen and um, if you don't have yeah, it you a missed the, the, opportunity the...
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I feel like every time I would take a general, and I'm pretty generous about doing general meet and greets with mm-hmm. writers. Yeah. Like I have read the writing and I like it, and they're it's not right, it's not pitching season, or it's, they're not ready for it, or whatever. And I'm always astounded by the number of people who don't have an idea to talk about. Because I'm like, you know, I'm not inviting you back, right? You know, right. I'm not going to do this again. So why did you waste the one opportunity you had when you had it? You know, you were had were in there with an executive. It's it, you know, it's a terrible. I hate the the. Uh, the ickiness of saying an elevator pitch, but it's exactly what it is. Yeah. If you have five sentences in the back of your head. It doesn't have to be really well spelled out. All it has to be is an interesting enough thing about about an idea that they'll say, I'd like to hear more about that. Right. And you can always, as a writer, say, well, I, I need to develop it more, but can I come back in a week or two weeks or whatever? Right, right. And that's absolutely. perfectly fine.
0: Um, the, the listener questions, the one that I wanted to mention first was something you were talking about. Um, it's when going in and pitching a TV series, can you pitch other show ideas as well? Or would that be bad protocol? I'm assuming they're meaning if the executive doesn't ask, but you just kind of tack it on there at the end.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that would be kind of, if they no, I I say that probably eight out of 10 times uh, we did not get an answer in the room. So we didn't leave that opening like the Arab Kripke story or the Cougar Town story, where sure. people said, "Not quite for us." But did you have anything else? Um, so if you have just pitched one and you don't, they haven't given you an answer back yet, then I, yeah, it's kind of bad form to say, "Hey, I got another idea." <laughs> but um, you know, if they if they like again, if they passed in the room, then yes, and and even not if you don't find out like for a couple of days that they've passed, and if they've if they've said yes and gone forward with your idea then keep it next one for next season. <laughs> right, right. Don't try to develop two in one season. Um, but, I, you know, if they've, if they've passed on your for whatever reason, and you know, sometimes we'll call and talk to a writer directly. It depends on how close I am to the writer. And sometimes I'll just call the agent and say it was a pass for us because it just wasn't right for us. Um, you know, have another idea and come back. And, you know, ask your agent to get in touch and say, hey, what about this? What about that? I think it, if, if we've sat down and met with you, and like you enough to respond and especially respond directly. Then we're opening the, leaving the door open for something else for more material to come in. Right. Um, if, if they go, no. And they were like, I've had an occasion where I have called an agent and said, your writer really let me down in the room. <laughs> Their pitch was not good. And I am not taking another one from them until they prove to me that they know what a pitch is."
2: Wow. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, In that case,
0: don't do it. Right, right.
1: (laughs) Wait until you really got it fleshed
0: out. Yeah. Um, Here's the next one. I've got a great idea for a TV show, but now what? I've never written a script before, but I'm willing to try. I have what I think (laughs) is a really good TV show idea and just want to try to get it out there. What can I do with it or where can I take it? Hmm.
1: Wow. Um, okay, I'm going to assume a couple of things. I'm going to assume that the person asking this question is not currently in the television business and in, in, in like uh, taking a writing program or isn't working as a PA or anything like that. They're just right. a civilian out there with a great idea. Yeah. Um, and in that case, it's it, I'm not going to lie, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tricky. Ideas are a dime a dozen. Um, mm-hmm. It's execution that gets it out there. Um, right. Every I can tell you almost without without exception, every single pilot that I've read that has gotten picked up this year is an idea that's been around for a while. It's all about the execution of it all. that makes the thing different. So if you have this great idea and it isn't based on IP, which is a better way to go. If you have a book that you've liked, you've read and you think it'd be a great thing or whatever. um, Not one you've written, but one that you've read. Um, if, If it's just an idea, I would say identify the people who do something like that. Um and then try and find out a way to approach them like through their agent or through the manager better yet if there's a personal you know, like you know their hairdresser or whatever it 's a really long shot it's it 's tough, and people are so nervous
2: mm-hmm. um
1: because the lawsuit thing I mean one of the reasons that the you make up when when I did the 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 pitch workshop the i the pitch idea that i 'm using is my blueprint one of the reasons it 's outlandish is because I don't want to have something so good that might actually sell it. And then somebody from the workshop come back and, and sue me. Like I told you he should breathe air and now he's breathing air. You stole my idea. Right. Um, So people are super nervous about that. I think if you just got a great idea, um, if you have any ends in the industry work, the personal connections and otherwise um, start taking writing classes and, um, and learn how to do it first, read, read, read a ton of pilots that are similar in the vein of what your idea is. Right. Like if it's dark I and mean, dark stuff and it's a comedy, I every mean, comedy. Um, and then, you know, the next thing I would say is try and spec it out and, and ground up, get an agent, try and sell it that way. It's really hard. It's, not gonna, it, it's really hard for people who've been in the business. Right. And have absolutely. been on staffs mm-hmm. and have been like, to sell ideas. So it's, it's going to be a long haul. But if it's something you're really passionate about, you know, learn everything you can about the business yeah. and um, keep at it
0: um here's the next one how do i prevent my ideas from being stolen after a pitch if they like the premise they might buy the pitch but what if they don't buy the pitch and yet certain characters or plot points or even something similar is developed by the same executive or company is there any way to prevent this or any recourse if it happens all right (laughs) it's
1: it's a hard it's a hard question because i get this i've gotten this a lot too about like I was just giving a talk and talking about elevator pitches and somebody was like, no, don't ever do an elevator pitch. They'll steal your idea. I'm like, okay, yes, it happens. I'm sure it happens from time to time. I think it happens much, much less frequently than people say it does. Sure. I mean, almost a hundred percent of the time when you read those things in, you know, on deadline or whatever, months later it'll come out that the judge threw the lawsuit out and that there was no, um, there was no grounds for it at all. Because again, it's like I pitched you a guy and a dog in an RV and then you sold a show about a guy and a cat in a house. It's the same thing. Right. Um, it, it, there's no real way, the only way to protect yourself, that nobody is going to steal your idea is if you never tell anybody your idea. Right. That doesn't seem like it's very conducive to selling your idea. So it's, I think it's just a matter of a of, of leap of faith. You want to deal with people you trust. So, you know, you you go through people who are recognized you go through the sony's or the abc studios or the the, you know the networks of the world who are they're not going to steal your idea because it's too much of a pain in the ass to have to oh sorry too much of a pain in the neck to have to deal with the legal ramifications later on
2: Mm -hmm. in fact
1: i found the opposite to be true that a lot of times you know if we pitch something to sony they might have said it's too close to something that we heard last year it's too close to whatever we don't want to tread those same those grounds and and do it so i think it's not as big of, of a a fear as you, you really think it is. Um, and I, I would, I would recommend not worrying about it. And if it happens, then you get to be one of those history making stories that you can tell in bars 20 years from now that they stole your idea. Right. You could have been a millionaire.
0: If, if anything, what I've found or I've heard of being more common, it hasn't happened to me, but I've heard it where it's sort of an idea bleed, meaning you pitch, you know, not the premise necessarily, or even specific stories, but, you know, little random plot points or like a specific quirky character or something that you may pitch that the executive or producer or whoever might not necessarily remember where they heard that idea after hearing Mm -hmm. 200 pitches. And at some point, something's in development, they throw out, well, what about a character who does this? And it's something similar to what you would pitch. And it's not like they're necessarily going out and trying to steal your idea. It's just they heard a great idea, but it wasn't, like your whole idea, just a little part of it. And it some way somehow works its way in somewhere. And, you know, I've talked to other writers who are, again, prominent writers, working writers on shows and and screenwriters who have uh, sold material, had produced material, and they just Mm -hmm. shrug and say, it just kind of happens. If you're going to pitch things, it could happen. There's nothing you can do about it. You just kind of, well, at least I have good ideas and you hopefully you move on. So, yeah. like you yeah, said, yeah. the only way it's not going to be stolen is if you never pitch anything. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. And and the thing is, again, it's about execution. Yeah. Like, yeah, you know, so one guy could you're the you know the quirky thing might have been an interesting idea in a in a pitch or a script that was just not executed in a way that interests or fit in with that particular person's brand. Right. Um. And a year from then, or or six months from then. That's something that was executed exactly like what they were looking for. And, and you're right. They, they, I don't think it's ever really intentional. I don't, I don't really – I feel like it's such a small percentage of people that um, will actually actively screw you out of stuff by stealing right. your idea.
0: Well, especially in the it, legitimate, it, it, you know, working at yeah. the networks and it just – it doesn't pay.
1: Because it's just not – there's not going to be, a, you know, there's not going to be a second series. Because right. if you start getting a reputation as being somebody who steals ideas, people aren't going to pitch you anymore. Right um And it happened to when I was doing TV movies. It happened to us that we pitched a production company a book. Um, they passed. Then two months later, it was announced that that production company had optioned that book. It was going into a movie with it. And we called and were like, "You, so and so, other language." Yeah. um And you know, they were like, "Sorry, just at the time you guys pitched it, we didn't want to go forward." But now we, you know, learned of the market that opened for that thing or whatever. It, it it may eventually happen to everybody, but it's just not it's not something that you can let stop you from going forward.
0: Right. And that's another reason why for, for their protection and for yours as a writer, it's good to go out with a rep. So there's record of you going in pitching or, you know, with a script or whatever. For their protection it shows, hey no, that R V movie with that dog, we saw a script by this writer that was sent to us by UTA six months ago. You know, so it's for their protection, yeah. but also for yours, so that if, you know, something happens, they could say, yeah. you know, your agent says, No, I sent you this, you know, script or my client pitched you this yeah. idea six months ago. So Yeah,
1: you know. well that's one of the reasons that we won't that typically we won't take pit or we won't take pitches or specs from people who don't come to us through an agent or manager. Right. Because of that legal problem, it's just too much of a... It, the risk isn't worth it, usually.
0: Yeah. Um, okay, the last... Which list is unfortunate. Yeah, no, it is. It is, but we live in a litigious society, and, you know...
1: Well, it's just, it almost. does... You know, people always ask me about how you get an agent and stuff, and yeah. I get it. It's really, really hard, and it's yeah. unfortunate that there isn't some, you know, better outlets for... You know, there's all those pitched things and all that kind of stuff, which I, well, sometimes will go to those, too, Yeah. Um, that leave the door open for people without agents. But it is it does make it a drag, but that's the world we live in.
0: Yeah. And there's just far too many writers, you know, so many people want to be TV writers, screenwriters nowadays. Uh, And there's so many Mm -hmm. outlets and that's great. But at the same time, the competition and just getting through that mass and and getting noticed is, is very difficult. Um, Yeah. uh, Here's a last listener question. Is there a good way to get an executive's attention back during a pitch? If if you can see you're losing them. That's funny.
1: (laughs) Um, there really isn't. I, I feel like uh, the story somebody told me one time was that they were pitching a, a, an executive and, um, he, he put his feet up on the desk
2: mm-hmm.
1: in a way that his feet blocked him from seeing the writer, ah. which is like, okay, that's a dick move. Um, and then as the writer continued soldiering on to the pitch, the executive picked up a phone, his phone and made a phone call, not like answered the phone. <laughs> he picked it up and dialed and started talking to somebody. It, I've never had that happen to me, but there are times when executives, you can just tell from their face that they've totally zoned out, that yeah. there's no way they're going to fight it. Yeah. And there's really nothing for you to do, but soldier on, use it as a practice round. Because again, you don't want to go in the middle of it, go, and you're not paying attention, are you? You're going to pass. Why don't I just cut to the, the chase and just leave? Because the next time you want to come pitch them something, they're going to remember that. Right. So the only thing you can do you know, you can't, like, go, hey, hey, <laughs> wake up, follow right. me. Um, you got to just kind of keep doing your pitch and um, thank them for their time and, and just chalk it up to sometimes it happens.
0: And I actually heard a few stories where uh, a writer had that experience where the, the executive, their eyes glazed over, it didn't seem like they were paying attention. They finished their pitch. Mm-hmm. They walked out thinking they completely flamed out, that it was a complete disaster, that there's, you know, just forget about yeah. it and move on to the next one. And they get a call, and the executive is actually interested. Um, <laughs> you you just never a hundred percent know what's going on. Yeah. Um, although your story does beat the one that I have. It's not didn't happen to me. Karen McCullough, who wrote uh, Legally Blonde, told me a story, which I thought was funny. But she said that. Uh, in a pitch one time, the executive actually fell asleep as she was pitching, which I think is actually I've heard that too. Yeah. And
1: that happened to somebody. I've heard that as well from another writer that the executive was, I'm so sorry. I was so exhausted. And then fell asleep. I don't, I I used to uh, work with uh, guys at Gosset Jacobson and and, um, one of them had like sleep apnea thing. And he would just like in the middle of a meeting fall asleep. (laughs) Um, It was a medical condition, not so much as attention span thing, but um, it was funny. And then those things. You know, what? I guess if it happens to be in a meeting, what you do is you go and you, you, you know, keep it in your treasure trove of stories you will tell one day when you're famous.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know.
1: <laughs> um. It literally isn't. I, I wish there was something you could do. We had we had somebody come in and pitch one time when I was doing the TV movie thing. And he would come in. He came in to pitch his story. I don't even remember what the story was. But he kept, like, putting on different hats and nice. then using, like, a slide whistle and um, doing all, like, different sort of – yeah, it was – it was the weirdest thing I've ever seen. And believe me, we did not fall asleep during the middle of that. It was like, <laughs> holy hell, what's going on? He <laughs> like put a press hat on and then put like a, you know, it was weird. Don't do that. Don't, it's not, it's less important to get their attention than it is to tell a really good story.
0: <laughs> wow. So I, I take it you uh, you hired that individual? <laughs> uh, but- Oh, no, uh, no. <laughs>
1: amazingly <laughs> enough, no. <laughs> um,
0: a- a- any sort of last thoughts on, on or advice for pitching or anything about that nature that you wanted to to get out there?
1: Um, well, I guess because we're coming up into staffing season, and I know yeah. everybody's you know trying to get via for those positions and things. Um, one thing that always drove me crazy was that people never had like I would read the same spec three years running from a writer. Oh. And I've only was like asking the agent, isn't there something else he's written? Cause right. I have said, no, he hasn't gotten in the room the past three years with the same script. I don't, can't imagine why you think it's going to get him in the room now. Right. Um, so, you know, polish up your, your specs, if there's, you know, if there's shows that you want, like we had a really hard time staffing or, or for outsiders, not because there weren't a lot of qualified writers and we got lots and lots of really great talented people on our staff the, at the end of the day, but because it's such an unusual tone and people kept sending us like procedurals or things and it didn't really fit the mold. So if there's a type of show you want to work on, write a, write a spec that is like that and write a spec of an existing show. Because some producers only want to read specs of existing shows because, you know, your job as a staff writer is to mold your voice right, to that showrunner's show. voice. Yeah. yeah, So, you know, everybody, some people tell you only do originals and some will say only do specs. I say have one of each. Be ready. You, know, you want to be a writer? Write. Right.
0: Um, but what I, will own... say, what I will add is don't oh. spec a show with the expectation that you're going to send it to that show because they can't. It oh, God, no. won't read it. Use it for something right. else. Right, yeah.
1: right. Sorry, right. sorry, sorry. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for clarifying that. Yes. Yeah. Don't, do a, don't like send your speck of How oh, I Met Your Mother. Oops, this is off the air. Don't send your speck of Two Broke Girls or something to them. They can't, they can't read it. Right. Um, but do have it in mind if you want to do multi-cam comedy, have a, multi- a spec of an existing multi-cam. Um, and again, when you come in the room to do staffing meetings, have you know, read the script, do notes on the script, be, be more informed and more involved. Pretend you've already got the job. Right. and ask more interesting questions than, well, wow, I really like this story. And you can ask, where'd you get the idea from it? how did you get inspired? Um, right. What do you think of this character? What Here's, you know, boy, if I were going to do it, I would consider this. Now, you don't have to only like, pitch a whole, you know, that you flush out a season because that's insulting <laughs> and weird, but right. but you put enough thought into it that, you know, you have ideas. Um, and just be interesting, Like we had a guy come in um, for an outsider's meeting that um, was pretty inexperienced but his life experience was fascinating, um oh. and he had so many interesting stories to tell that fit into the mold of our show. Right. His, his life experience was very much like being at, at somebody who was outside the fringes of normal society, blah blah blah. So you know, have an interesting story to tell. Um, be ready to just so many writers would come in the room and just think it was enough to say, "I really love your show right um. It's not. <laughs> yeah.
0: And everybody has an interesting story. You know, just because you don't think you do doesn't mean you do. Just find that because everybody sometimes has an
1: interesting story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was talking to somebody about how you do the bios for the workshops, you know, the writer's workshops coming mm-hmm. up. And, um, you know, one of the things we talked about was you know, maybe talk to your friends. What do yeah. they find is interesting about you? Yeah. Because you know oftentimes we discount things, it's like, "Well, yeah, of
0: course I grew up in an igloo, whatever, everybody. <laughs> so um, so did all you, my you know? friends in Alaska, or whatever. yeah, yeah.
1: Exactly. <laughs> um so if you can't find that thing, help have somebody help you find that thing, right, um because you know it's going to be it's going to be being memorable, right you know again, we, we went through like probably oh, I don't know six or seven meetings a day, and at the end of the, like the week, it was like, "Who was that one guy again?" Um, so uh, you want to stand out in a good way, not in a, I wore a hat and a whistle kind of (laughs) way.
0: Right. Be the guy or gal who, who grew up in an igloo. (laughs) Right. And
1: lie about it. Just kidding. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, Don't do
0: that. But you know, if you did, then Hey, be sure to throw that out there. They will remember. Um, oh, and lastly, uh, for those, since, since Mm -hmm. we're sort of in the tail end of, you know pilot development season and staffing season is Mm -hmm. gearing up um Mm -hmm. maybe you can tell listeners you know sort of what time frame they should be looking for in terms of you know when pilot development season is what they should have ready for it, Mm -hmm. and then staffing season when staffing season is and what writers should be should have ready
1: you know it's interesting it was when we started you know at fedora it was really a very strict solid calendar yeah in um, yeah, it was it was funny because I wasn't I wasn't used to that coming from a different you know aspect of, of television. So it used to be very very regimented. It used to be that um, January to all through January they'd pick up whatever they're going to pick up the pilot, and then you'd start casting and stuff. Say so February March you'd be shooting, and all every single pilot in town was shooting in the same like two months time frame, and then. At the end of May, when upfronts came, they'd make the decision the vote was going to go forward. Everybody would take June off because they wanted to shoot themselves in the head from the eighty hours a week they were working the pilot. And then, starting July first, networks would be open. Broadcast networks would be open for pitching, basically July through, say, the end of October.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then, at the end of October through the end of the year was when people were turning in their scripts and were getting notes. And you'd always spend that week of Christmas. No successful writer, I think, ever got to enjoy their Christmas break you always get notes then, right. because you had to get your script polished so it could be picked up in January, and it was a very regimented thing. Well, now that's all sort of gone out the window. You know, they're picking up um, pitches still now. Yeah. I, you know, there's a couple of really random ones they're picking up now. So, I mean, that, that's sort of the one you can kind of gauge. through. you can kind of know that for broadcast, the um, staffing is going to start kicking up around. You know, March April is when they're going to start reading scripts, and um, April May start meeting people because you had to meet. You know, ideally, you meet people through May, so that when the end of May, when everybody when the shows are announced, you're ready to to make those calls and, and grab the people you want. Right. Um, but uh, I said, and cable doesn't follow any any sort of itinerary at all, and neither does Amazon or Netflix. So I think that your best move. Is be aware that it's this is going to be the worst time if you want to try and contact an agent, manager, or an executive right now through like May they're going to be crazy busy. Right. But other than that, there really isn't any time frame that you can keep in mind. I mean, if I were right now I was before I jumped on the phone with you that was um, getting ready for a pitch that we want to take out when the season starts. I know it's not going to be till July but I want it to be perfect and I want it to be um, ready to roll. I don't want to be working on this in June. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, if you have ideas, always, always work on ideas. And there's no calendar for ideas, you know I mean? It's yeah. not like, oh, that's a really good idea, but it's way too early to listen to it. Don't ever come back. That's never going to happen. Right. Um, if it's a great idea. They'll have you come back when it's the right time. Um, and, and you know, keep, keep reading. It's, it's terrible. I get sort of too obsessed for like reading deadline because it, it has so many now fascinating things especially with the politics and things going on in the world it's kind of to that but deadline will always let you know when they're picking up pilots right. and when the seasons are so you know keep reading that stuff
0: yeah I don't of... work
1: for deadline that wasn't an ad for them but <laughs> right
0: and you hear a lot of extended uh development season articles now um
1: yeah yeah it used to be like we pitched one uh, about four years ago we sold something to cbs like October thirtieth or something, right? And the exec was like, "You guys are really lucky because this is the last thing we're buying this year, right?" And this year they were still buying things well into December, so yeah. it's hard to know. Yeah, um, and they, and it does help that they've got that year-round thing, right, where they buy those summer series, which is sort of on a different schedule than the other series right. are. So, um, yeah.
0: yeah, there's just so many different platforms, and it's no longer just the network fall schedule that you're shooting for cable doesn't follow yeah. that same schedule and uh, you know the, the online services the netflix and the amazons and the hulus they don't follow any schedule they just follow kind of do what they want so yeah it's definitely yeah yeah much more fluid than it used to be um
1: yeah i mean certainly you know crackle has got um a number of great series in the air that they seem to pick up things at like, a like clumps of time yeah um i'm not as familiar with like if hulu does the same thing um but um yeah i think it's it's it makes it I think a little more exciting, a little more interesting, because then you know that there isn't that lockdown, oh my God, I have to have this idea, and everybody has to listen to ideas between a certain time, but it also is just about being um being flexible being always always ready you
0: know? yeah, and also from the other side, it's also good because uh if you don't land a gig in uh by the end of May or june um yeah, in staffing there's still other opportunities. Now, a lot of it, you know, they still staff a a good amount during that staffing season, but you know, there's a lot of stuff staffing that just randomly when they get picked up. So there's other opportunities now, whereas before you don't get picked you don't not hired by June. All of a sudden you got to wait till next, you know, March or April or whatever. Right, so.
1: right, right, right. No, I agree. It, it does make it a little bit. I think less less of the stress on on writers and directors and, yeah. and people that, you know, even selling things. I mean, let's face it. Broadcast TV is still the bulk of where TV is sold and made, and where the bulk of jobs are going to be, at least for the time being. Um, but yeah, always be looking out for those as a writer. Always be looking out for those different digital outlets. Um, that, that you know, not just making your own web series, which I think is a fine outlet and a wonderful hobby to have, but, I mean, I'm talking like, like, like things like Crackle and Hulu and stuff that are, are right. viable. I mean, even Vimeo, I think, is starting to develop their own original yeah. series. I yeah. don't know what that would look like, but, um, <laughs> you know.
0: <laughs> i'm i like, no, no, not
1: knocking Vimeo. I just mean I don't know if they're going to do either episodes or if it's going to be you know fifteen or what they're going to do,
0: but um like, if, if YouTube can do it with YouTube red, then we can too, and they are always oh yeah yeah, there's so many outlets, and everyone's trying to compete, so it's good it's a good time to yeah. be a uh uh you know a writer yeah um and do you have any last final thoughts or advice for those screenwriters t v writers out there? could be life advice. could be don't wear press hats and <laughs> whistles to reach me. Any sort of
1: have advice. Have a backup career? No. <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> now, I've heard that that's the worst <laughs> advice. You've got to pull the uh, Cortez. And if you want to be a writer and you're serious about it, burn those ships because it's so hard to make it that, you know, you. <laughs> if you have other options, you will probably fall back on those. That's about, advice I heard. I'm not saying yeah, yeah. you can't make it if you have another day job or whatever. I'm just saying... You know, I've heard that some of the best advice is just burn the ships and just go out well, full force because so many people are out here working, busting their butts to make it that if you're not willing to put that time and effort and you have a fallback, it's easy to do that.
1: Well, OK, I would say my where I weigh on that particular thing is maybe, mm-hmm. you know, not all of us can afford to burn all of our, no, our sure, ships and sure. be stuck where we are. Yeah. But I think that definitely it's the dedication to it makes a huge difference. Yeah. Um, again, write. If you want to be a writer right sit down and write um there's way way too many people i know who want to be a writer but um you know their their day job takes up too much time well i call bullshit on that i mean stephen king you read like when he started write, he was working as a grade school teacher or school teacher of some sort and then he worked as a dry cleaner when he got off school and then he would go home and write like at 11 o'clock at night or whatever and he he wrote yeah um and he got rejected a million times before he finally made those those sales um you're gonna get rejected. You're gonna get um, passes. Don't get um, don't get don't get pissy about it. Um, I mean, the biggest thing that for me that was surprising that younger writers, writers who were successful in other areas and coming into TV, didn't realize like they were successful playwrights or features or whatever. Right. TV is a super collaborative business. Yeah. Um, and for better or worse. And yeah, there's gonna be a guy who's gonna have that idea that's gonna be not great, um, the executive or that whatever you got to learn how to deal with that. Um, politely and nicely, you got to yeah. learn how to listen to people's notes, but you know, they might say, does it really need to drive a blue Cadillac? But, and you're like, does it matter? That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. But maybe what they're really saying is, isn't our guy, shouldn't he be a little uh, less obvious and he should just blend in with the scenery. Right. You know, if that's what you know, figure out what they're really wanting, and figure out the answer to that. It might not be the one they came up with, but figure out what your answer to that would be. Right. Um, because let's assume you're going to make it. You, you come out and be a writer and you're going to get a gig and you're going to be on, you know, working with people, either pitching or whatever. Just, just always remember it's everybody gets a vote. Everybody gets a say. And if you want to discard what they say, it, you don't get to. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And it makes you a better writer whether their ideas are bad or not, or good or not, it it makes you a better writer to hear them figured out and figure out how to answer those questions. So be open and and be, embrace that that experience. You know?
0: Yeah. Um, thanks for coming on today, Marlon, talking to us.
1: Oh, thanks for having me. It was fun. I really appreciate it.
0: Um, be sure to check out pitch to com. That's pitch. The number two, Script.com. Although I guess you would mention you also have pitch to script.com with the letter. Yeah, it
1: should send you over. Hopefully. Uh, <laughs> um
0: And you can find her on Twitter at the script fixer. Um, there's no number two in that, just at the script fixer. Um, and if you have questions about the craft or business of writing, you can send us an email to ask at scriptsandscribes.com or send us a tweet to at scriptscribes. There's no and in the middle there, just at scriptscribes. And thank you all for listening.